0: 4.6 billion
2: The Earth forms
0: Cambrian 542 million Complex life explodes Permian Triassic 251 million 90% of species die Cretaceous Tertiary 65 million
2: Meteor kills the dinosaurs
0: 55 million Primates appear 2.3 million Pleistocene 200,000 Humans 20,000
1: Agricultural
0: 250 revolution.
1: Industrial revolution
0: 60. great animals. acceleration The yeah. Anthropocene Welcome to Generation Anthropocene. I'm Mike Osborne. Today on the show, Jackson Roach brings us a story about a tree, Ginkgo biloba. Ginkgo has an evolutionary history that goes back hundreds of millions of years, and it's also arguably humankind's first conservation project. I could say a lot more, but it's better to just listen. Here's the story.
1: The leaf of the ginkgo tree is unlike the leaf of any other tree you've seen and known. It has a very long leaf stalk and then it quickly fans out into the shape of a a Japanese fan almost. And the leaves are, are a nice bright green and they turn a really beautiful buttery yellow in the fall and the veins on the leaf are very unusual as well they fan out radially from the base of the blade the leaf blade and they and they keep dividing into two up to the very end to the edge of the leaf so it's very pleasing too the 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 shape of the leaf is very pleasing occasionally you'll find these round seeds that look like small apricots beneath trees. These are the seeds of the female ginkgos. You don't see a lot of female ginkgos. And when the flesh that surrounds, uh, the flesh on the outside of that seed decomposes, the smell could be quite unpleasant. Some people think it smells like really ripe aged cheeses. In the US, you see them as street trees and in parks. In China and Japan, I've heard Various temples have ginkgo trees. There's a thought that temples, Buddhist temples in particular, might have been instrumental in keeping genko biloba, the species we have, in cultivation over the centuries. There were various related species, but those have all gone and extinct. And genko biloba is the only remaining one. Way before humans evolved, ginkgo-like trees were present. And so looking at one, it's good to ponder that this tree has been around for a long time.
2: What we mainly have in the fossil record are leaves. start to appear uh, over 200 million years ago uh, in the fossil record. There's no mistaking them as ginkgo leaves. When you crack them out of the rock, they look very, very similar to a modern ginkgo. We see ginkgo appearing in the Triassic and being pretty widespread and abundant during the Jurassic. Climate was a good deal warmer, probably no uh, ice caps, during the Jurassic or even during the, during the Cretaceous. So this was a warm world. Ginkgo seems to have grown close to uh, river deposits. So it was growing alongside the rivers in these ancient dinosaur landscapes. And this, this was the dinosaur age. in the landscapes of the jurassic where ginkgo was so common uh, the vertebrate fauna would have been very different the vegetation was dominated by cycads and conifers and ferns we didn't have any flowering plants yet the pollination system in ginkgo was probably by the wind and didn't involve insects it is possible that Uh, The smell of those smelly seeds may have been an attractant for uh, dinosaurs or perhaps other vertebrates uh, during the Jurassic, and that those uh, vertebrates were involved in dispersing ginkgo seeds. And then it spread across the planet. I think, is that it it did last for so long, and it was so resilient. Ginkgo and its relatives were widespread in both the northern and southern hemispheres. But then eventually the world did change around ginkgo, and and ginkgo found it hard, in a sense, to keep up. It's hard to come up with a very clear answer as to why ginkgo, having done so well for 100 million years or more, suddenly starts to find itself um, in retreat. The vegetation of the world really started to change at about hundred million years ago with the rise of flowering plants. It's probable that, that ginkgo, having grown in these habitats without flowering plants, was then subjected to new kinds of competition from a new kind of plant that, for whatever reason, proved to be more successful. And they winnowed out uh, some of the ginkgo like diversity that we knew back in the, in the Jurassic. Eventually it does start to decline in its distribution and its abundance through the middle of the Cretaceous about 100 million years ago. And then the world changed again after the end of the Cretaceous with the demise of the dinosaurs. Ginkgo was still living in a a world that had very high temperatures. Ginkgo was growing at very high latitudes, but as the temperature started to cool through the Cenozoic, ginkgo became more and more restricted. Soon it's lost in the southern hemisphere. It's still quite widespread in the northern hemisphere. But then as the climate starts to deteriorate, the trauma of the ice ages about 40 million years ago, we see that ginkgo moves into lower latitudes from these very high latitudes. And we also see eventually, towards the end of the Cenozoic, it's slowly lost regionally. We have it in Western North America, based on its leaves, up to about 15 million years ago. Then we don't see it anymore in North America. In Europe, we have it until about 5 to 2 million years ago. Then we don't see it anymore. In Japan, we have it up to about 2 to 5 million years ago then it's lost, and the place where ginkgo seems to have survived is in China, and it's in China then where ginkgo very, very nearly went extinct. In the past, there were several different kinds of ginkgo-like plants, and those have been gradually winnowed out to the one species in China.
1: Right. Okay. That's helpful. So, and then it, and then it meets humans.
2: Yes, so... Uh, the first written records of ginkgo are uh, from China about a thousand years ago. Ginkgo are being written about in poems as a nut tree, collecting those smelly seeds and eating the meat this was regarded as a delicacy and an interesting new food plant. It does uh, appear to have um, associations with people that transcend its simple usefulness. You often find Ikinko associated with, for example, Buddhist temples or Shinto shrines. I think also the distinctive um, Appearance of the leaves is uh, part of this. It's a very distinctive tree, which may have uh, been part of why it becomes associated uh, with these various belief systems. People began to cultivate it, and so it spread across China and then to Korea and then to Japan in medieval times. And we have this this wonderful example of the Shin'an ship, went down with its cargo of ceramics but also included uh, many plant remains, including a single ginkgo seed, as direct evidence that ginkgo was being moved at that time. So um, that pretty much fits with the first appearance of ginkgo in the, in the Japanese uh, written record around about the 13, 1400s Um, And it's really only uh, a matter of a few hundred years after that that the first Westerners uh, in the East start to encounter Ginkgo. So Engelbert Kempfer, who was working for the the Dutch East India Company in southern Japan at their trading post in in Deshima in Nagasaki Harbour, he arrived there in the early 1690s. And in his book, which he wrote on his return, came out in 1712. He publishes the first in the Western scientific community, the first description and illustration of, of Ginkgo, and uses the name Ginkgo for the first time. And then uh, pretty soon after that, it's clear that living specimens were, had arrived in Europe as a horticultural and botanical novelty. The oldest ginkgo trees in Europe are of about that age, maybe 1740s, 1750s. When Linnaeus writes his species Plantarum in the 1750s, he doesn't include ginkgo, because at that point he hadn't seen a specimen. But just before his his death, around about uh, 1770, Linnaeus is sent a living specimen. And so Linnaeus sees it and names it ginkgo biloba. By the early 19th century, it was being grown in on estates and botanical gardens. And uh, this is where Goethe comes across it and writes his famous poem on it. By the end of the 18th century, ginkgo is already being grown in North America. So in a sense, ginkgo is now growing in some of the places from which it was extinguished millions of years ago. And in the 20th century, we've come to realize that it's a useful street tree, tough, resilient, resistant. So now you can see it as one of the most common street trees in Manhattan, or in Beijing, or in Seoul, or in Tokyo. Ginkgo was probably on the edge of extinction until people found it useful. But then through its use as a a nut tree, as a horticultural ornamental, then even as a medicinal, and now as a, a street tree, It's grown very widely around the world. And really, from a thousand years ago onward, you know, the the well-being and the survival of ginkgo is entirely tied up with its interaction with people. So that's why I say that, uh, in some respects, ginkgo uh, is a tree that people have saved. You know, conservation through cultivation Reminds us about time. I mean, these are long lived organisms, visible organisms, that transcend a, a normal human lifetime. Not only the life of individual trees, which may be very long compared to a human lifespan also the lifespan of the lineage, which is almost incomprehensible. Thinking about Ginkgo in this way, as a life story that that's taken place over hundreds of millions of years, should, I think, sort of calibrate for us our place in the world. We're all so preoccupied with the here and now, we're all so preoccupied with the with, with what's gonna to happen tomorrow, what's gonna to happen in the next election cycle, when's the next economic cycle. And in the grand sweep of Earth history and evolutionary history, these are, these are, are, are small peripheral events. We are r- relatively recent arrivals on this, on this planet. We're a relatively recent product of, of evolution. Yet we dominate the planet today, and as we think about the way we manage the world, we might want to extend our timescales a little bit. And think about these longer timescales. Uh, the fact of the matter is, we are a, we have the power of a geological force on the planet now. So the decisions that we make uh, have major implications for the rest of life uh, on the planet. But I think it's it's helpful for us to kind of to step back and think about um, our place in the unfolding history of the world and, uh, and how, given that, we should interact with the natural world.
0: On August 6, 1945, the U.S. dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Six ginkgo trees were caught in the blast radius, but survived the explosion, though their branches were stripped of leaves. The next spring, these same six trees leafed out again. And as it turns out, there were also ginkgo trees on the grounds of the University of Chicago, where Enrico Fermi developed the bomb, and a ginkgo tree around the corner from Harry Truman's house, the man who gave the order. Ginkgos have a way of showing up throughout history. And for an unparalleled account of these kinds of stories, we highly recommend the book Ginkgo, The Tree That Time Forgot by Sir Peter Crane. Dr. Crane was the British voice we heard in this piece. He's also president of the Oak Spring Garden Foundation. The other voice we heard at the beginning of this story was Cyrus Patel, who runs the Trees of Stanford website and occasionally leads tree walks around campus. Thanks again to Jackson Roach for that story. Our show is also produced by Leslie Chang, Miles Trayer, and me, Mike Osborne. Special thanks to Tom Hayden and Isha Salian. Our project is supported by Worldview Stanford and Stanford Earth. You can learn more about the podcast online at www.genanthro.com. On our website, you can also find links to music used in this piece. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter, at Gen Anthropocene. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday with a new episode.